Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this week, photographer Martin Goddard takes us through his jam archives. Now, for avid consumers of jam vinyl in the late 70s and early 80s, Martin's photographs need little introduction. His images appear on the cover of their first album, In the City, and their fifth, Sound Effects. In between, his photographs were used on the front covers of a flurry of picture sleeve singles. All Around the World, The Modern World, News of the World, The Double A Side David Watts A-Bomb in Wardour Street, Down in the Tube Station at Midnight, and finally Strange Town. We dive into his personal recollections and his shoot journals that he shares with us, where he recorded the dates of his studio sessions and dig into a whole bunch of memories from another amazing period of Paul Weller's work. So let's get into it. Martin Goddard, thanks for joining me. Well, it's good to be here. I'm really excited about the Jam Sessions photographs by Martin Goddard. Not as excited as you, though, I would imagine, because this is a lovely way to get your collection of work from this really important period of, of the band's success out there to the public. Yeah, no, it's, it's something I've always wanted to do, but really the, the dreaded COVID-19 lockdown was the sort of catalyst for it. And, of course, a guy called Guy White, who uh, runs a snap gallery, who is a big jam fan and he's sort of put on an exhibition uh, of mine in 2015 and he's represented my my work with with the band for a long time he suggested it and because i mentioned that i'd found a lot of new material i've been up in my loft in what what is you know called my archive um, <laughs> every week going through um, various um, negative files the stuff that i've just never had time to do and you know i've really forgotten that it was all there but luckily i did file everything pretty well so so um, I've been dragging these files out and actually finding a whole bunch of new material that I thought was lost. 
Wow. So this is from the period of first LP in the city, right through to sound effects. You were involved in working with the band, working with Bill Smith, who was art director of Polydor Records at the time as well. So this is a really exciting, important moment for the band as, as they you know, start off on that journey from in the city to then become huge. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically was in that period of time which which catapulted them from uh, a, a young band that would, uh, were recently signed by Polydor, just a new band, into major artists, really. I mean, in such a short time, it all happened very quickly. I mean, the reason Bill and I got the jam was because they weren't on you know, top of the list and Polydor. Um, so they give... Bill Smith, the young art director and slightly unnamed photographer, the job to promote them because they never really thought, I don't think, that the band were going to sort of be so great. They let us get away with all sorts of things. And I mean, the classic one is Bill getting away with a black and white cover in the first place. It was almost like we were off the radar and we benefited from that, actually. But it was a fantastic period. I'm looking here because I have a crib sheet on this because I know people out there will know what I did better than I (laughs) <laughs> but but I did keep a shoot book with all the dates and job numbers and everything, so I can actually be absolutely categorical um, on the times. But there were there were eight shoots basically, and uh, they were all dated. And they started on the second of the third seventy seven, which was the inner city cover, and they ended with the various location shoots on the twenty sixth of the seventh, nineteen eighty. They're all in the book. Uh, well, they're all in the book except for stuff that is. Totally lost. Um, but we've even managed to fill that in by finding old contact sheets and things like that. Brilliant. So, yeah, so Jam fans, this is a real treat. So the stuff we're talking about where people will have seen the work will be in the city, the album cover, sound effects, and we'll talk about that in a sec as well. But then singles, so all around the world, modern world, news of the world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then we've got David Watts, and yeah. then down at the tube station, and the, the famous Strange Town. So really seeing them, like, Bang on top all the way through. So let's kick off then. Late February 1977, that was when you get the phone call from Bill Smith. He's producing the LP cover for this new band, The Jam. Had you heard of them at all at that point? No, never heard of them at all. I mean, remember at this time I was um, working for a lot of record companies and so I would have a a different band in every day. And and they weren't all punk and new wave. I mean, I'd have the situation where I'd have Ackerbilk and a Paramount Jazz Band come in and be photographed. So <laughs> I had to be pretty diverse. Uh, and, and they were just another one of these new set of bands, the young bands that I was getting at the time. And you had the studio in, was it Kensington, Church Street, Kensington? Yeah, so. I shared a studio with a guy called Roger Whitaker who had a, a small studio by behind a boutique. There was a boutique called Bus Stop, which was very sort of 1960s, similar to Bieber. And, and those sort of people. In fact, it, when we were there, it had changed to an estate agent called Marsh and Parsons. But recently I went back to have a look to see, you know, where I'd shot. Because it was like a tiny little muse building. It, it was very charming uh, it, behind this shop. And I went there and it's been completely levelled. And the post, the postman let me in. And it's now a complete set of industrial, well, not industrial, office units. But the, the facade's the same, but where we worked has all been gone. I mean, it's levelled. No longer can be a blue plaque there, really. <laughs> only the doorway, only the doorway can have the blue plaque, I think. <laughs> and, and you talk in the book about uh, there always being a tension on shoot with a new band. What do you mean by that? Well, there's, there's always a tension because, in fact, in this case, I hadn't met the band. I mean, Bill had, but I hadn't. So um, when I had a new band, I always tried to make sure everything went really quickly and efficiently uh like i made sure in this case we had a hairdresser uh because we wanted that mod look it wanted to be absolutely just in case someone came and it wasn't right we had a hairdresser standing by always make sure there were sandwiches 
and, and drinks and coffee. And the last thing these guys want is you to look like you don't know what you're doing. I mean, they don't know what they're doing, probably, but you mustn't look like you know what you're doing, basically. I always had a plan, and, and I talked it over with art directors, but always had a, a plan. And never stop. I mean, if you stop and look like you're thinking of what to do, there was always a problem with young bands because they'd always have something more important to do so um, then your photo shoot <laughs> <laughs> and bill talks us through this idea of him wanting him visualizing it as being in a toilet obviously that couldn't be a reality so you recreated it in your studio well, it could have been a reality, but I, I said to Bill that this is crazy. They're a young band. We're going to go out at night and photograph these guys spraying public toilets or subways with graffiti. They're going to want to look good. They've got to wear suits and things like that. I said, this this is lunacy. I mean, we, we, we're sort of uh, ain't going to work. So um, I persuaded him that it would be a good idea if we built the set inside. I said, we can we can make it look. We, we can we can control it. We can actually get what you want and obviously it paid dividends because bill was able to spray that logo with one hit uh he wasn't worrying about the local police sort of apprehending him for, for criminal damage or anything like that and uh yeah i mean that was amazing that he did that in one hit and it was amazing that we managed to build the damn wall in time as well <laughs> <laughs> well it's remarkable that that logo became such an iconic thing as well that one hit like you say straight in bosh done and it lives on still today i'm seeing <laughs> but there wouldn't have been a second hit with them because it well, would have, no. we'd never get the damn stuff off <laughs> What would have happened if you'd have, if you'd have failed miserably? It's on it. one of those things you cut. You know what? It couldn't have happened. It must have worked. You know, there was no not. It wouldn't work. You know. And some of the shots that you've got in the book, and I don't know. I don't remember seeing these before. There's a bit where in the city is spray painted underneath. I don't remember seeing that picture before. Has that yeah. has that has that been yeah. out? Oh, no, I don't think so. It was what Bill was uh, mucking about at the end. We, we smashed up the wall, you see. Uh, when the band had gone, we actually smashed up the wall uh, and he, we did lots of things that he may have wanted to use. And this is the good thing about having an art director on the shoot because he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do on the back cover, in a sleeve, all that sort of thing. So he, we just played around with it. So we shot it without being broken up, smashing it up, adding those extra graffiti. So, yeah, and, 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 and it, there's also um, a picture of... Um, you know, the silhouettes of the band on the wall and things like that. So there were various little tricks that we wanted to play with. And that's what's nice about studio. You can actually do that. Now, your second session with the band was actually for the third single. So your second session was The Modern World. And this is a month before the All Around the World shoot. So you're shooting out of order in terms of the, the chronology of the singles. Yeah, well, I, it wasn't me shooting out of order. I think it was uh, <laughs> the record company shifting uh, around the thing is the second shoot which was the second of the fifth 77 the modern which was a modern world shoot was really a big general shoot it had a lot of press shots in it um we were experimenting so it was that they were obviously the album was out um or coming out and they needed a, a, a new set of pictures that could be put out to the magazines uh you know because remember we're working in an era of magazines things that don't really exist now um and and newspapers and fan sheets and they needed a lot of material so that's why that was a very productive shoot that that was a long day of um of quite hard work um uh, and things like they got the right shoes by that time and, and they generally tidied themselves up because remember on the first shoot they arrived in they had the suits but they, they didn't have the shoes if you look at the, the yeah the shoes are so i mean so <laughs> scruffy aren't they <laughs> I know. well yeah you see the best laid plans you know you, you cover the hairdresser you make sure they've got the suits and then they arrive in shoes like that I mean, <laughs> so. so the idea of that that second shoot wasn't necessarily for you didn't have 
have a single in mind. If you were building a car, it's about, it's called the parts bin. You know, you've got loads of pictures that the the art directors and the press and that can go and and dip into when they needed, suddenly they need an exclusive picture for a magazine. So they go and in the, you know, Polydor had a big press office basically, and they they would be servicing all these uh, media outlets not only in Britain, you know, in Europe as well. I mean, you mentioned how productive it was. You also mentioned the, I mean, this is, you mentioned the suits and the white shirts and the, and this point, then the black ties and the, and the white socks and the jam shoes. I mean, so people still today talk about the jam shoes and wanting to get a oh, pair yeah. of pink pairs. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? The jam, jam shoes. Um, I go on um, sort of jam websites, you know, fan websites and, and, and the constant chatter about the shoes, you know, is, is quite amazing, really. And if you look closely, Paul's got yellow socks on. Yes, he has indeed. Yes, that, that, that funny enough, um, I didn't notice that. it was Guy at the gallery. He, he was very excited about the yellow socks. <laughs> I mean, nowadays we could just sort of trip them out in Photoshop, couldn't we? And then he could have white socks, but um, they were yellow. He, he snuck, snuck those in, didn't he? <laughs> and there's some other lovely bits in that shoot, which and one of which is is what I'm going to call the, the mirror shot, which is which has kind of become you know uh, quite an iconic picture in terms of your work as well. I think you know you often see that, and it was used on Nicky Weller's <laughs> book around the jam around that jam exhibition, wasn't it? In the goodie bag, it was a uh, I did I think 250 of one of them, but went into the goodie bag for, for right. people who had the deluxe ticket. Tell me about the mirror shot. How did that come about? Well, the mirror shot was um, some I had the mirror first of all, and uh, in the studio and the reason it was uh, in the studio is uh, I'd done a shoot of a, a, a surrealist photographer called um, Angus McBean uh, and he was uh, a 19 well 30s 1930s 40s 50s photographer who just happened to photograph the Beatles cover where they were looking over the balcony oh, uh, and yeah, he and yeah. I he was like a a theatrical photographer but he was a surreal photographer so the brief I was working for you magazine and, uh, you know, the Sunday supplement and the uh, U magazine wanted me to produce an Angus McBean-ish picture of Angus McBean, if you get my drift. <laughs> so I had to produce a surrealist picture. And he had actually done a surrealist picture of reflections uh, in, in one of his books. So I just took this huge mirror along to his uh, house in Essex. We recreated a, a sort of shot like that. And so I, I thought that shot worked really well. And then I thought, hang on, we could do this with a three-piece. It would look really nice with the band, especially with the black suits, because you get that sort of the head and face coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other, the reflection, not quite as sharp, but, you know, reproducing itself. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a cool idea. So did it, basically. I mean, that's what one of these, this, this modern world shoot was, as I say, to produce various types of picture, because in that shoot also was the plastic bin liner shot, where we wrapped them up in bin liners. So you went from the, the art sublime to the actually punk ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, in, But you had to produce a complete variety of shots, and that's, that's what that was about. Right, fabulous. Um, so next comes shot number three, which is for all around the world, I'm guessing? All around the world, yes, on yeah. the 1st of June, 1977. I mean, it was actually a veritable production line, wasn't it, really, uh, in that, that period? It's a quick turnaround, isn't it? Yeah. This is the yellow plastic, I think, isn't it? That's my, right, yeah. My own work. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you, you say that the spraying of the... Um, of the logo on the tiles was dodgy. The plastic was even dodgier because the plastic was affected by the paint. If you look at the pictures, all the plastic is sort of creasing and crinkling up because the the, the chemicals in the paint were doing funny things to the chemicals in the plastic. So this, that could have been a total disaster. It could have been just a, a yellow pile of dripping 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so we were we had to shoot a bit quickly because we didn't know how long it was going to not be holes rather than the uh, background. But yeah, that was that shot. It was a counterbalance to the black and white in the city cover. Very bright, very stark picture. And one of the things with the jam was obviously they were producing the albums. But at the same time, there was this hit run of or this run of singles which wouldn't feature on the albums. And I, I think I'm right in saying all around the world was one of them. I it was just so. a single. Yeah. I was so, really so much involved in the visual side of the band, getting exact dates and music order. We're, we're, thank God it wasn't my problem. There were, there were <laughs> other people who had to do that. You know, yeah. it, you're right. They were actually churning it out, weren't they? At this point, there was a, a, a huge amount of product. Yeah, really was. And um, and your next shoot is for News of the World. So this is the first one outside of your studio. 1978 now? Yeah, that's uh, on the 9th of the 2nd, 78. I remember it was a really horrible day in Carnaby Street. I don't know whether you're old enough to remember Carnaby Street. After, well, in that period of time, what we're looking at, 70, ooh, 78, aren't we? They actually, trendy Carnaby Street, the Westminster Council had paved it in plastic. So it had this sort of rubbery plastic tiles in a, in a orange, white and black design all the way down the street. And so we decided to do the shoot early because they, they wanted to do it in Carnaby Street. And I knew Carnaby Street very well because my father-in-law had a uh, electrical shop in Big Street, which was obviously the adjacent street. And we got up and we went there. And so we, we I think we must have shot about 7.30 in the morning before it got, you know, people were around. But it was a terrible, cold and windy day and rainy and horrible. So needless to say, it was a very brief photo shoot. Uh, <laughs> so the idea was to just get them walking down the street as if the photographer, they were just going to bump into me, basically. And so it was just a, three guys coming down the street in Carnaby Street, allegedly being called, and they were going to bump into this person walking up the street. So that was that was the plan. And that's what we did. But funny enough, that shoe, though it you know it produced the cover and that was wasn't wasn't the great. I don't think it was my greatest shoot in the world. But we did. I did produce some really nice pictures of the band in uh, Frank's Cafe, which was shot around the corner because everyone wanted to get out of that shoot and get into the cafe because that was more important. <laughs> I knew all the local cafes because of this. Big Street connection. And running Lexington Street, there was a place called Frank's Cafe and we all piled in there. And that's where I did that set of pictures of the band sitting behind um, with Bruce and Rick tucking into a full English and Paul having a cigarette and a cup of tea. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and funnily enough, um, since I, I've had the guy contact me who does guided tours around London of where rock bands um, have been featured, and he tracked it down... Um, the correct pub, because I wasn't quite sure whether it was in Lexington Street or in Big Street, but it was in Lexington Street. And it's now a place, uh, a, ve- uh, a vegetarian cafe called Mildred's. Oh, and yeah. he actually, on his website, was what was nice, he actually superimposed my picture in what it looks like now. And it fits in absolutely perfectly. So. Brilliant. <laughs> and you talk in the book, and it's interesting to look at the pictures of all being a little, little bit separate from... Bruce and Rick, in a way, in those shots. Well, he certainly was culinary-wise, wasn't he? A cigarette yeah, well, and a cup yeah. of tea against a English. <laughs> but, but, yeah, look, yes, um, yeah, because they were very much together, and you can see in that way. You, you don't need to explain it because the pictures tell the whole story. I mean, he's always like, slightly on the left or the right, but he's not in the middle. In fact, we worked out, looking at the book, Paul is only in the middle in one of my shoots, really, and that's the uh, David Watt shoot. It's probably the most relaxed that all the band were ever on any of my shoots. And you can see them in these pictures. Now, again, I, I, I found these pictures. They'd been lost for a long time. And it was quite a revelation to see them, really, because they were only shot as a black and white 
picture. So I should have looked at them a lot earlier. It does show that they're enjoying each other's company. That they're, they're clearly, I mean, a lot of laughter in those those photos that we've not seen before as well from that shoot. So that was the shoot for David Watts. Actually, it was a double A side, wasn't it? it was, uh, a bomb in Wardour yeah. Street, David Watts, yeah. May 1978. And yeah, you say like, there's a little one with Paul in the middle as well, but they look like they're, they're enjoying each other's company and, and they're mates. Yeah, they do. And, and actually, I've got um, there's one of Bruce with my. Um, uh, I recently photographed uh, the old grey whistle test and they give me one of those great big badges. And one of the shots, uh, he, he obviously saw the badge on my studio wall or something and grabbed it down and, and he's uh, sort of showing that. And I, cause, uh, but the funny thing about that is, of course, is that I actually saw a thing recently on whistle test's anniversary and the jam were very successful on whistle test, weren't they? They, they had a great set. You know, yeah. with Annie Nightingale. So, in a way, though they, were, I think they were mimic- laughing at the fact that I'd been to Whistle Test. It came round to bite them, didn't it? Because they actually went and played there. <laughs> so. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And how much control was Paul having in this side of things? Because you talked right from the start, I think it was um, Bill had remarks from the, you know, the very beginning, how, how much of a visionary and how much control Paul liked to have on the look and the, obviously the sound, but the, the look of the band as well. Was he, was he open to your ideas? Was he, was he inputting into ideas? Yeah, well, we, we used a, a joint approach, Bill and I. Uh, so two against one was always a good, <laughs> good formula. The, the trick was we would, Bill would go for the meeting, the original meeting meeting so he could suss out the ideas that Paul had and the ideas he had because he went with our ideas because we'd have a discussion about it before and then he would go uh, ready uh, for a meeting uh, with, with Paul and so when it came to the actual shoot there was only finessing we'd actually hammered out what we were going to do uh, and I always had this philosophy if there was any indecision on on a shoot we do it both ways i used to tell the band you know it's a couple of rolls of film it's like 20 quid to do you know and 10 minutes to do it another way and then you can choose i said uh, you know you can choose with your manager or your art director but it was silly not to do it there were never any arguments about things like that because i would always do it you know two different ways now there's one that you couldn't have two different ways on which is the shoot for tube station so down in the tube station at midnight september 1978 the shoot and you had no permission for this at all, did you? No, I had no permission for it, so I couldn't use a flash. And um, when I looked at the contact sheets, what is totally amazing is there's only one frame that could have been used. It was the one that they did use with the tube station coming out. Because what I've done is I've set the camera on automatic, and I've got them in there. And you'll see, you've seen it, but you people will see from the contact sheet, I had to totally remake the contact sheet so that 
on it on the computer so you could even see it because all the pictures were overexposed because I'd set it on automatic and it was very dark down there. So it overexposed the picture. The only time the background looked for the camera, the right exposure was when a train came in there and broke up the black of the back of the tunnel. So what happened was that for that one picture, when the train came out, it was the perfect picture. And, um, that was it. It is, it literally was one frame that would have made it because we couldn't hang around down there, uh, uh, because we didn't have any permission. We didn't have anything really. I mean, and, and so, and the only reason we, uh, that they ch- he chose, um, the bill chose Bond Street because he commuted there because Polydor were in Stratford Place in, uh, just off Oxford Street. So uh, he knew it well and he liked it. And also at that time we were there, it was pretty quiet. I think it was about eight, eight in the evening or something. So it, it, it gone the, the rush hour. And I went back actually to photograph it uh, for when the jam exhibition was um, uh, at Somerset House. I actually have got a picture with it at midnight. I said I, I did do a little bit of tricking because I didn't fancy standing there at midnight. I did Photoshop because it's got a time, a digital clock there, right on next to the tube. Now, of course, it's got a load of health and safety stuff around the edge of the tunnel. I mean, when we shot it, there was nothing on the edge of the tunnel, no clock, and it was just peeling paint, basically. And uh, so, yeah, it, 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 so it really was two rolls of film, that's all, and uh, most of them rubbish. <laughs> and i love the fact that you wouldn't know either so whereas now you you know digital camera you can look at the back of it and um and see what you've yeah. got whereas you don't know till you get back to your studio and develop these shots you know nothing this is, but this was a whole point about analog photography um and that's why obviously all the studio shoots were on two and a quarter square so i could run a polaroid back and that's where there are pictures uh, i think you've seen it of my shoot records i would actually cut up the little Polaroids and stick them in a book and mark how I took the pictures. And that was our only um, really look into the future to see what the pictures were going to look like. But not with 35 mil, you you just shot it. And, and, and as I say, it, it was all, it, we were all looking behind us all the time, waiting to get caught by the, by the, the uh, transport police or something. They thought it was quite funny, actually. There was one point where we were waiting so long for a train that I think Rick gets down and does press-ups. <laughs> Yeah, things like that. You'd have hoped they'd have been pretty understanding because the jam at that point were, I mean, I don't think they'd had their first number one, but they were certainly on the cusp of being yeah. huge, weren't they? Well, it was it was a standard, a bit like the uh, the shoot in Carnaby Street. It was definitely uh, do it quickly. We'll give you that time, and we will be awfully nice for you. But after that, you've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> we will. <laughs> so uh... yeah, always better to beg beg forgiveness afterwards, right? <laughs> but I always I, I was always of the I always worked fast with with bands, especially young bands, because really, yeah, I mean they don't really want to be there very long. Your next shoot, which was um, the final single that you did for Strange Town, so this was 1979. At this point, what the band are sick of you? Don't want to spend any time with you? <laughs> don't want to get involved with our view? Why, why are they not on the cover? <laughs> Uh, well, the reason was probably because uh, at the same time, I, Bill and I did the first cover for The Cure called Three Imaginary Boys, and they refused to be on the cover of, at all. So, uh, and we ended up doing The Still Life. So I think it w- they were going through a genre, as the art people say, uh, of um, not being on covers. Bill came up with this idea of the uh, crossroads, and I, by chance, had a, a, a crossroads in mind uh, down in Kent, near, near my mother's place, um, down in the, on the Isle of Thanet. We went down on a very miserable day because uh, I'm seeing again, it's a, 
We all seem to be doing these in odd on January, 21st of January, 1979. Horrible day, I think. Bill was a model. He, he was starstruck by this point. And um, we had to produce a set of pictures of out-of-focus people as well. And the whole picture had to be out-of-focus. So technically, quite a doddle, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> Even I could do that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, most of my life, I've been sort of spending time getting it as sharp as possible. That was the brief. Again, uh, I had no problem because being Bill being there... I mean, I had to ex- show him through a camera because, again, there was no Polaroid or no, because it was a 35mm shot. Uh, and also we played around with some filters in the sky. So I think you see in the book, one of the pictures will be sort of uh, almost a sort of a purpley sort of sky. And one, and then it, I, we did it in black and white and colour. Again, there was this thing that he wasn't quite sure whether we do it as black and white. or Nowadays, you can just click a button on the computer, but of course then you had to shoot separate film, all that sort of stuff. And the album cover is such a different thing now where it has to work on a 12-inch vinyl still because that is still a thing and, and and seems to be increasingly becoming so again now, which is lovely. It has to work on a CD sleep. But it also has to work on a tiny little MP3 little image that sits on Spotify or, or Amazon Music. So it's, it's even more of a challenge now, isn't it? That doesn't work though, does it anyway? No matter any postage stamp size, <laughs> no matter what you do, I mean, it doesn't work. That's why the book is actually a 12-inch format. I mean, it, we're running we're running 12-inch so that they're like, it's like an album cover. Uh, on it on the pages and then also it's a it's a book that opens flat there's no it actually opens flat onto the table so you get a double page spread with no gutter so it just looks like a 24 inch wide like a gatefold remember the old gatefold yeah there's halcyon days of gatefold um, record covers uh, so that, that that was the idea to do it as a square because a lot of the, the jam pictures particularly were shot on Hasselblad anyway which was a square format which obviously was the ideal for camera to shoot record covers on we tried to keep, keep that theme going again. Right. Okay. Interesting. And your final assignment, am I right in saying the sound effects LP? And this this was album, I'm just doing the math quickly, one, two, three, four, five, the album number five for the jam, right? It, it's a great album because I listened to it recently, actually. So, um, you know, just to get, uh, in fact, in fact, I, I listened to, um, on the car recently to the About the Young Idea CD so I could refresh my memory on all this stuff because some of it just sort of slipped past me because it's, Obviously, if I wasn't shooting, I didn't hear it. So um, yeah. it was good good to catch up on that. Bill just said, we've got to produce some, a whole set of pictures for a, a mock cover, like the BBC Sound Effects album cover. And, and they've got to be actually quite boring pictures, quite um, almost abstract images, uh, the sort of thing the BBC would have shot at the time, which would have actually been rubbish. <laughs> so it was like there's a picture I photographed of a picture frame that isn't even facing... Um, the camera on my um, mother's uh, windowsill looking out over the garden with a couple of Ford Capris in it. It's a, it's a sort of pictures that really didn't have a lot of meaning that, that the BBC would have just slapped down there to, uh, to fill the cover. So we had that sort of fun. And so it was a lot of street photography. But, I mean, the best story about that, that shoot was I was walking around York Way and I did the funeral director as he went past on York Way. And when we had the um, exhibition at uh, Somerset House, uh, the guy came up to me and he actually had grown up and he now runs the company because it's a family company. They're in Lambs Conduit Street in North London, you know, in uh, Bloomsbury. And uh, I did a print for him because he was just a young pool bearer. He was like the son of the owner and uh, was looking at me as we as the hearse, the Ford Granada hearse went past. But it was amazing that the guy gets in touch. Brilliant. And was that, Brilliant. One, one other story is that um, the, the little baby in there was a, a baby of uh, my sis- a friend of my sister's, and we actually managed to find her to come up and meet Paul for the uh, at the uh, Somerset House because she's now thirty something 
30 odd years, whatever it was, in 2015. But she's like a grown woman now, the baby. <laughs> and, a cl- and a claim to fame of being on that jam album. Yeah, Thanks yeah. to you. I love it. <laughs> I actually met him. So I thought that was quite cool. So it was good to find her. But still, people come. I, I got a, a, an email from a guy in Gravesend who said, I found the telephone box. <laughs> and it was on sound effects. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, it's almost like they should have offered um, a competition who can find all the places. Yeah, like a little treasure hunt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, post the jam, you go on to work with Genesis Queen. Wham, you, you went on tour with Wham in China. Elton John, you too. I mean, wow, what a bunch of amazing people and bands to, to shoot with. Well, sort of, really, you should go back, because Queen were my big break, really. Uh, and so they were the real first bands that uh, first band that I really got sort of catapulted into the situation where Polydor would give me the job to do that album cover because I'd started on Fab 208. Fabulous 208 was a, a magazine for Radio Luxembourg, which uh-huh. was in the 50s and 60s, the only pop independent pop radio station that people could listen to. So it had a magazine in England because it basically was a, a British um, radio station that applied its wares out of Luxembourg. Because it was the only magazine that sort of dealt with a lot of pop music, I had no trouble going to photograph various big bands because they wanted publicity uh, from an independent magazine. So I was sent to photograph Queen and, and I went over the top because at college I'd learned all about um, split level, uh, split lenses, prismatic lenses that the cinema industry was using at the time. And so I did all these multi sort of pentagram images um, of the band at a, a gig at the Rainbow. And my trick at that time was to go in and as, you know, do a good job for the magazine, let the magazine use the pictures. And then I'd sort of tootle along to the management of the band and say, um, what do you think of these? Um, I could do these for you. And um, they went nuts. They really liked these pictures. And so I then spent a whole, perhaps 18 months, doing all the gigs for Queen. And of course, once you've done it for a big band like that, you could go to other managements, other record companies. Oh, you did those. And, and, you know, it's just a recommendation thing from there on. So that's how I got there. And then period after the jam, basically, and in it was Blondie because 1978, I spent virtually most of the year commuting to New York uh, for Chrysalis Records doing doing, um, Blondie for various things, which ended up in an exhibition, which they opened in uh, August of 78 called Blondie in Camera. All the way through, um, it started going from there, really. It's basically, it's a, it's a cliche, isn't it? But, you know, you're only as good as the last job, but each job seemed to tumble into the next one, which was was brilliant. You also need that bit of hustle about you as well, don't you? And um, Steve Rapport talked about this uh, and a similar thing where he'd taken some shots and, and just sent them off to the magazine. And you, it's about getting your foot in the door as much as anything else sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, well, in those days, it, you, it was a foot in the door because you used to go and see the art director or the press agent with your portfolio. So you had these portfolio. And really, as long as the pictures were good, it was who was in the portfolio that was more important. Because if basically, if they would, if these other people would risk you photographing them, they could risk you photographing their act. In the Jam's case, for instance, I mean, no one knew the Jam were going to be that phenomenal when I photographed um, in the city. And it was the same with Blondie, because Blondie was nothing in America in 1978 when I went to the Gramercy Park Hotel and did the first shoot for the Telegraph Sunday magazine. And I'd even paid my own um, Laker 99 quid fare to go to New York to do that shoot. 
I mean, they said they'd pay me for the photographs, but they weren't paying for me to go to New York. You had to sort of hustle around. You're exactly right. At the end of the day, as a footballer would say, that you have to turn up the goods, don't you? I mean, there's no, if the pictures are rubbish, it doesn't matter who you, who you know, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and a really key time as well, I think. I mean, the timing is, is so much about these things as well, isn't it? Because you know, the, the record industry was awash with cash back then and the picture LP, you know, th- th- there's some big budgets involved in some of this stuff, isn't there? Well, yeah, because well, as we said, I mean, um, picture discs, uh, picture covers on all singles, yeah, they, they had big budgets, and they, and because also the market wanted it, didn't they? I mean, the records. I mean, you you got a hit record by selling records in record shops. So you had posters, you had flyers, you know, you had adverts on radio, you had the pluggers who used to go around to the record station. Yeah, it was a hot. The industry was completely different. I mean, I go and lecture at the college I went to, which was Westminster. Basically, when I was there, it was Harrow College of Art. Um, and the first thing I say to students is the only thing the same that I did when I qualified was that light goes through my camera lens. Once the light's gone through my camera lens, nothing now is the same as when I walked out of that college. So if you ain't prepared to be flexible, you're not going to survive, you know. And now it's, of course, speeded up far faster. Is there a favourite shot of yours? Is there a favourite jam shot that you that you look at and go, yeah, that was the one? Do you know, the one I really like is the jam contact sheet, which was the film that I got in the city off, which I am told by Bill Smith was the very first shot I did of the, the band, because I only did two rolls of film for the in the city cover. That's 24 shots. And it's the one, the contact sheet, which has got them all in the way they would be on the album cover, except there's one picture, which is the cover of the book, which is where they break up and laugh. So, and I think that that encapsulates because how good the band was, because virtually every picture on that contact sheet you could print and say, wow, that's a, that's a nice picture, and it sums up the band in the city. Mm-hmm. So for them, I think that's, you know, the, the one. It's remarkable, isn't it? A five-year period, if you think about the time that you've talked about there from 77 to them disbanding in 82 and the legacy that they've left behind. I mean, so many people now, you've talked about forums and websites and, you know, people still talk about this band as, as being their band and it just means so much to people, doesn't it? Well, it's such a compact body of work and it's all such a good and variety. I mean, again, I was listening to this, uh, this all, you know, about the young idea. And I mean, it goes from in the city and then it goes to, um, uh, sort of Motown reproductions. And, and then at the end, you're starting to get organ music and brass and music. So it, it's varied, but it's everyone's a winner, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you listen to this, this best of, you know, people from bands. There's always stuff that isn't really worth listening to isn't it i mean there's never but this 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 double cd just packs it in doesn't it i mean it's amazing I sound like a record player don't but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, a body of work you're right five years and, and 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 the plug was pulled but it's there isn't it you can't take it away i mean yeah, and, and yeah. it's still got a massive following it, all the way through it's funny i mean obviously i met paul all those times but he was actually quite reserved and quite quiet on the shoots he wasn't, um, you know, I've had people in, I mean, I did Sham 69 and he is not Billy, but, you know, you know, sort of Jimmy Percy, uh, because, you know, it, it was all very controlled and, and, uh, but, but, um, yeah, it went very well. But, um, I, I could say I was never great chums with the band, but, um, I, I, yeah, well, I think we had a great professional working relationship and, and the important thing is they got on very well with Bill. And, and so that made it all sort of, 
flow, you know, the work workflow. Well, this has been so lovely, Martin. Um, good luck with the book, Jam Sessions, photographs by Martin Goddard. People who are into the jam, had the vinyl, will love that, you know, will know those covers, but at the same time, looking at all the contact sheets and the, the different shots and everything they won't have seen before is just fabulous. So, you know, brilliant stuff. So thank you. I have two final questions for you before you go. You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, the style council or solo. Which ones are going to be? Oh, well, oh, it's going to be a jam record. Um, and I'll go for Down in the Tube Station. You know, I just think it's a really cool record uh, and it brings back very fond memories. <laughs> nice one. Good choice. I'll let you have that one. Um, and the purpose of this podcast is not only to chat to lovely people like yourself, but also to get that interview with Paul that I never managed in my radio career. If it happens, hey, when it happens, let's make it happen. What should I talk to him about? Is there a question you think I should ask him? Yeah, you could ask him what he thought of the photo shoots between 1977 and 1980. <laughs> 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 and what were they even like if they'd got a real photographer? <laughs> <laughs> somebody who could get a shot in focus, yeah. <laughs> One thing I did find out was um, when I did blow up these pictures and work on them, that Paul's wearing a damned badge on the cover, on the inner city cover. You, can, you know, if you ever see him, say, why? You know, we, he was obviously a big fan of the damned on his own record <laughs> cover. I thought that was... Um... <laughs> Cool. Uh, Martin, good luck with the book. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Great. Enjoy it. My thanks once again to Martin Goddard. The book Jam Sessions is available from Snap Galleries right now, and you can find all the details in my show notes. Next up on the podcast, I cannot quite believe I'm saying this, the man that Mick Talbot called rock and roll royalty, yes, the jam drummer, Rick Buckler, joins us on the podcast next. Don't forget to share this episode on social media. It's a busy old place, so the more you can help to shout about this podcast, the more it helps us to find new listeners to the show. You can find me on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.